Man, who would have thought? Who would have thought um, that, that we'd be here today, uh, especially from that, from that dinner all those years ago? Um, for those of you who don't know, um, we met, we had the privilege of meeting Pastor Ernest and Sarah over 10 years ago. And what blows my mind is to see how God puts certain things in our hearts, a vision that he gave them to plant a church here in Castle Rock, the most epic name of any city that I've ever gone to, by the way, <laughs> Castle Rock. And so, um, and, and to see that dream now here become a reality, praise God. Like, I want you to know, I was, I, I was at the beginning, like I met them at the beginning of that journey. And so it stirs up my faith to see how God can build his church so that people can experience the unfailing and unfathomable grace of God, you know? And so anyways, thank you so much. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your prayers. Because of churches like you, we got to plant a church in the 305, okay? That's code for Miami. So I want to thank you uh, for your generosity towards us, really, and your faithfulness in giving. That because of that, um, we actually get to fulfill God's mission um, in a city like Miami. And so, of course, all of this has me thinking uh, about not only our friendship, but the nature of friendship. That is what I'm about to talk today. We're going to talk about the dynamic duo of Jonathan and David. And I'm going to tell you about them in just a little bit. But I'm reminded of this quote by a guy called J.C. Ryle. And here's what he writes. He says this about friendship. Friendship has our troubles and doubles our joys. Friendship has our troubles and doubles our joys. And has there been a time in our generation where friendship has become so important? When you think about what's taken place over the last two years, when you think about all of the turmoil, not only in this country, but all over the world, what COVID and all of these different um, issues, uh, politically and socially, what they did is they obliterated one-dimensional friendships. It also helped us to appreciate those that, that we love the most. We began to get creative and, you know, the Zoom age began. And we started meeting with people because we longed uh, for connection. We found out that there was something in us. The way that God designed us was to connect with other people. You see, he designed you and I to, to be friends, right, who have friends. To be friends who have friends. And so along that path, along the last two years, we also discovered, perhaps, for some of us, that we need to do a better job of appreciating the relationships that we have, or that we have to take steps in order to find community and to find friendship. You see, death has a way of focusing our mind on what matters most. That's what's happened over the past two years. It's no surprise to me, then, that uh, in the book, the top five regrets of the dying, Australian nurse uh, Bronnie Ware, who uh, spent countless hours assisting patients in their final weeks of life, 
She says that one of the top five regrets of the dying is this. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Friendship matters. Friendship matters to God, and friendship should matter to you and to me because God designed you to be a friend who has friends. That is a dream for you. It's literally in us. And so for some of you, my hope today is that God would restore, like, hope. For some of you who may be lonely today and, and maybe feel like, I don't know, you've been maybe betrayed by a friend or you moved to Castle Rock and there's new people and you long for, to have that kind of relationship and that friendship, my hope today is that God would breathe hope into your life and faith that this can actually happen. My hope for some of us today will be, hey, listen, if you have those relationships, that God would continue to help you grow in what it means to love other people well. So the question is, what does biblical friendship look like? And that's what we're going to think about as we look at the story of Jonathan and David. It begins in the book of 1 Samuel. That's in the Old Testament part of the scriptures. And if you haven't heard much about them, Jonathan was the prince of Israel. He was the son of the first king that Israel ever had, King Saul. He was a warrior. And David, on the other hand, many people know him because he was a shepherd boy who killed Goliath. That's right. He was an artist. He was a shepherd. He was a warrior. More chapters have been written about David in the Bible than any other person outside of God. That's how influential he was. And so their story of friendship begins here in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And this is how it starts. As soon as he, talking about David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. What a remarkable moment. And what an interesting phrase that Jonathan's, like his soul was knit in friendship to David. As I looked at the scripture, I began to ask myself the question, well, why? What, what happened here. You see, the, the scene looks like this. David just walked inside the courtroom, and it's like a super epic warrior scene. He's literally carrying Goliath's head, and he's dropping it there in front of the court, in front of the king, and Jonathan is there. Perhaps the reason why their souls were knit together is because Jonathan was in awe of the bravery and the valor and the faith that David had before the Lord in order to take out um, Goliath. What's more surprising to me is that it is what Jonathan doesn't do in this moment. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't compare himself to David. He doesn't become insecure 
because this shepherd boy just took down Goliath instead of he who was a prince and a warrior in the king's army. He doesn't begin to compare his faith with this. He's not afraid to lose his own status. Jonathan doesn't feel threatened by David. And he, and he can. He can because Jonathan is the one that actually has the power to receive the inheritance from King Saul. Instead, look at what happens in the text here in verse 3. Then Jonathan makes a covenant with David because, once again, he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So here's what's happening. Uh, Jonathan surrenders the royal insignia. It's like he gives them his, his, his sword, right? He gives them, like he's telling him, you know what? This actually belongs to you. It's a sign of giving up his position and his power. It's a sign of literally in front of the court of the king becoming vulnerable before Jonathan. So what does biblical friendship look like? Well, the first thing we learn in the story is that biblical friendship, if you're taking down notes, if you're watching online, listen, Biblical friendship requires vulnerability. Biblical friendship requires vulnerability. So um, in relationships, in all relationships, there are dynamics of power. You can't escape it. And in this case, vulnerability, what is vulnerability? Vulnerability is a giving up of power. Isn't it? Right, when you're vulnerable... With somebody, what are you doing? You're sharing with them the gift, perhaps, of your story. Maybe you're sharing with them the gift of your secrets, the gift of your failures, of your successes. And when you share, when, when you share those gifts, what are you doing? You're giving them power to what? To hurt you. That's why the pain of betrayal cuts so deep in our hearts. Friendship. It, you know, if you and I are going to love people fully and experience the incredible love of friendship, then it's going to take vulnerability. It's going to take that giving up of power. I love what C.S. Lewis, he is the author of the famous Chronicles of Narnia, and he wrote deeply about friendship. This is, what he, this is what he writes. There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements and lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. If you want to experience biblical friendship, then you're going to have to take a step of vulnerability. And I want to encourage you today. God wants this for you, not 15 years from now. God designed you this way. 
to have friends and to be a friend to somebody. I'm praying today that you would be compelled and empowered by the Spirit of God to take a step. That if you need to be vulnerable with somebody, that you would take a step. That if, if your heart needs to be healed because of what's happened in the past with other relationships, that God would mend that heart today. We, we just sang that God can do the impossible. And I'm believing that for you and for me today. That God can do this so that we can step into God's purpose for us to experience community and the heart of friendship. But of course, friendship requires more than vulnerability, doesn't it? Because we've all met those people that it's like too, TMI, right? Too much. Of, it's like, dude, you're being too vulnerable actually right now, right? <laughs> vulnerability takes time. And we've all met that person that it's like, okay, you just share, I just met you, right? Um, vulnerability isn't everything that you need for friendship. You know what friendship also requires as you look at the story? Biblical friendship is sacrificial. Biblical friendship requires sacrifice. It's one thing to say, I love you. And it's another thing to show you. That's one of the things I love about Jesus. Jesus didn't just say, I love you. He showed you his love on the cross. Jonathan displays his commitment by giving up his power before David. Did, didn't you see that in the scripture? He, he literally, he lays down his robe. And he gives him the royal insignia. And he gives it, he sacrifices his inheritance, and he gives it to David. In fact, in, in, in chapter 20 and verse 4, I love what Jonathan says. He says this promise to him. Whatever you say, I will do for you. That is the promise of an intimate friend. Saul, on the other hand, the father of Jonathan, is the perfect description of an unhealthy friend. This dude has everything Saul is a tall, good-looking dude who is the most powerful man in all of Israel. But he is so emotionally unhealthy that he gets wrapped up in insecurity and cannot have the gift of a relationship with David. Biblical friendship requires vulnerability. And if you and I want to experience the joys of friendship, listen, we're going to have to make the commitment to love people even when it doesn't benefit us. Friendship is going to require time and energy, sometimes sleep, lessness, and money. I love it. In, in January 3rd of 2018, I was living in the tundra of Chicago, okay? I'm from Venezuela, moved to Miami, all right? Married for 15 years since July, married to Cassie. I have two beautiful girls, Maya and Kara. They're seven and eight. And we moved to Chicago, and it's January. Um, and if you've never been there, um, just don't go in January. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. Or February or March or April. Maybe May. So I'm driving. It's the beginning of the year. We got all these resolutions, and... As I'm driving at 5.30 p.m. in the afternoon, one of these magical forest creatures leaps over the road. Uh, you know which one I'm talking about? There, actually, I saw several of them here in, uh, yesterday. I'm talking about deer. This massive deer leaped across and struck the little car that I was driving. It, it totaled it immediately. This is a two-way road. Thankfully, I was able to get off the street 
I got out of the car, and then I was standing in two feet of snow. I needed a friend. The first person, of course, I thought about was my wife. And I called Cassie. And what do you think happened? She didn't pick up. (laughs) I'm not bitter. Um, So then I called somebody from the community group that we were a part of when we were in Chicago. His name is Sean. And Sean was having dinner with his family, and I'm sure he had other plans for that afternoon. And you know what he did in that moment? He dropped everything that he was doing, and he got on his car, and he drove however many minutes to come get me in the middle of the road. There I was, cold, in two feet of snow, and when I got inside of his car and the heat was blowing at a, at a thousand percent, I experience the warm love of Jesus right there. (laughs) But it took sacrifice. It took time. He could have not answered the phone. Instead, he dropped what he was doing. And he stepped out and he sacrificed his time and energy for me, even when it did not benefit him. This was totally one-sided. And that is the kind of step that you and I take when we want to be a friend to somebody. Friendship requires sacrifice. And you're not going to make friends in 2022. Or at least the kind of depth of relationship that God wants you to have if you don't commit yourself to pursuing sacrificial friendships. I can't tell you how many times I have heard people At church, tell me, Pastor Carlos, I am longing for community. And then I ask the question, what are you doing about it? We all long for community. We all long for friendship. But few of us sometimes actually take the step that it takes in order to pursue the messiness of community. Biblical friendship requires sacrifice. When you look at Jonathan's life, he consistently puts his neck on the line for David. And as that story unfolds over the next couple of chapters in in the book of 1 Samuel, we notice that friendship not only requires sacrifice, but also they require loyalty. Loyalty. Saul was afraid of David for several reasons. The first one and foremost is that the hand of God Um, had been taken off of Saul. And now he was afraid because God had put his hand on the life of David and he was experiencing the, the power of God and he was afraid. Fear, by the way, is an enemy of friendship. Fear, fear of what people think, fear of rejection, fear of getting hurt will prevent us um will prevent us from taking the steps that we need in order to experience that kind of love. And I know it feels weird. I've moved from Venezuela to Miami when I was in high school. Talk about putting myself out there. Then we moved from Miami to Chicago, and we had to do it all over again. And then after four years, we came back to Miami, and we're still doing it. It takes that time, right? But back to loyalty, 
right? Back to loyalty. Uh, Saul is so consumed with jealousy that he is bent on killing David. And so if you put yourself in the shoes of Jonathan, well, what, what's he going to do? Jonathan has an ethical dilemma before him. He has a moral responsibility, think about it, to obey his king, who also happens to be his father. And at the same time, he wants to be a friend to David. So what does he do? Look at the text. 1 Samuel 19, verse 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. Don't miss that. He spoke well when, when David wasn't around. Look at what he did. He spoke well of him. And he said this to Saul. Let not the king sin against his servant David. Because David has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. What does that mean? Being loyal to your friends means that you stand up for them when they're not around. Biblical loyalty is not just something passive, like in your heart, I am loyal to my friend. No, it's active. It's active. I want you to think about this in terms of family. If you're in, if you're in school, if, like in whatever social gathering, in business, like if you have a friend and you hear somebody else talking about that friend in an evil way, slandering their name, you have a choice to make in that moment. You have a choice to stand up for your friend and activate your loyalty or just remain there passive and let their name be slandered. And you can think of a multiple of other situations of how this can play out in your life. Biblical loyalty means you stand up for your friends. It doesn't mean, however, that you stand up for your friend's bad behavior or your friend's, like, sin. That's not what biblical loyalty means. It's not blind, okay? That's more of what I like to call Godfather theology. Anybody ever watch The Godfather here? Yeah? What's Godfather theology? Godfather theology um, is when we stand up for our friends, like, no matter what they do, right? I grew up with kind of that Godfather theology. You know, I got my boys I'm hanging out with. We're all friends. One of my friends does something that they're not supposed to be doing, and they, you know, somebody slaps them because they did something that they were not supposed to be doing, and the expectation now is that I retaliate for my friend even though he's, he did something wrong. Like this happens in school and it happens like even as adults. We're kind of formed with this idea that what it means to be a friend is just like hang out with them and do whatever they do no matter what. That's not biblical loyalty. Biblical loyalty means not only do you stand up for your friends, you also stand up to them. You stand up to your friends, right? Loyalty doesn't give you the license to lie for your friends. That's why I love Proverbs 27, 6. It's a classic. It says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. When is the last time that somebody lovingly confronted you? When's the last time that a friend stood up against you because of what you were doing. If you've never experienced that in your life, 
then it means one of two things. Number one, you may not actually have as close a friendship as you think you have. And the second, it may be that you have not been vulnerable enough to actually experience this kind of friendship. Friendship, biblical friendship requires loyalty. And that loyalty looks like standing up not only for your friends, but standing up to your friends. Are you a loyal friend? As the narrative of this friendship reaches the conclusion, this story ends with this just marvelous moment. Jonathan and David, they share this secret. Uh, that happens in friendship, right? There's a sharing of intimate secret. These are two warriors, by the way. <laughs> they share that um, if David has to leave the city, then Jonathan is going to shoot this arrow that's going to fly over David. But if he is able to stay and Saul won't kill him, then the arrows will be shot before David. So they work out the secret code, and this is how the story of their friendship essentially comes to an end. In the morning, says in the scriptures, Jonathan went out to the field to the appointment with David. And with him a little boy, and he said to this boy, uh, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and he said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy and he said, hurry, be quick, don't stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and he came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy, and he said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap, and he fell on his face to the ground, and he bowed three times. And there's so much drama here. Like, like, and, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. These are two like manly, godly warriors experiencing this incredible love of friendship, right? That's something that everyone needs. And then it says this, and Jonathan says to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord, not anybody else, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. What does that mean for friendship? Biblical friendship is built on God. It's not only, it's not only something that requires vulnerability. It requires sacrifice. It requires loyalty. But first and foremost, a biblical friendship is built on God. You see, at the end of the day, the ultimate bond in their friendship was not the fact that they were both warriors, right? Even though an affinity like that can facilitate a friendship. The ultimate bond wasn't both that they ended up in like the same location, even though proximity is really helpful in facilitating relationships. The ultimate bond in their relationship was their commitment to be men of God. It's that Covenant vertical love of God. By covenant, I mean it's, it's like a, it's not a contract. It's this 
commitment. It's this commitment that's vertical, that love of God that he, that he gives us freely. It's expressed horizontally now in relationships. It's an incredible kind of love. It's like when you have a friend, you, you know what it's like? You, you can experience a taste of the inbreaking kingdom of God in your life. Like this is one of the ways in which God loves us, and we get to experience that embodied in a person. It's incredible, and he wants that for you and for me. That's how he designed us, that he would want this for our life, this extraordinary love. It's so extraordinary. Listen to what David writes after Jonathan and Saul die. He, he writes this. He writes a song. He says, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. The love that can be experienced in friendship, that we should have a vision and a longing for, is extraordinary. Maybe that's why Jesus said these powerful words in John chapter 15. Look at this. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. Biblical friendship is built on God. Now you may say, um, you know, Carlos, I'm, I'm here and I'm skeptical about Jesus. I'm finding out more information about him, but I can have a friendship without, without what you talked about. Like, I'm vulnerable with people and I can experience like sacrificial love with other people and I can be loyal to other people. And I would say, yeah, you're absolutely right. The mark of a biblical and Christian friendship is really that it's built on God. That the love that we experience is a love that's come first from the Father. It's been experienced by us because of the love of Jesus Christ and we get to express that love horizontally. So Christian friendship, what I would encourage you with today, is just an amazing relationship that all of us can experience because it can truly be holistic. It's not just something that I can experience in my mind and also in action in everyday life, but we have a connection with another person that is actually spiritual. It's one of the most incredible relationships that we can have. And when you read even some of the ancients that have written about friendship, you will see them describing friendship in this way, which is why one of the best steps that you can take today if you're here and you want to move forward in your friendship, in your life, and you, you, you take like inventory of yourself and you're like, dude, I, I really, I want to have a friend. And you can't even come up like to say it because it sounds weak, especially if you're like a dude. You'll say like, I want to have friends. You know, it sounds it can sound weak. But that's why it's so powerful to read the story from two warriors and the king of Israel. Because this is something that's been designed for all of us. Regardless of how young you are or how old you are, God desires this for you. And one of the best steps that we can take in pursuing friendships is just experiencing the relationship and the friendship that we can have with God.
You see, Jesus, right, like, like God is not only God our Father, but in the Bible we also get to know Jesus as our friend. We get to experience that love with him, that security that only God can give us so that we can leave out of this place free to be able to be vulnerable. We have to receive that from God. So here's what I want to encourage you to do in just a moment. Uh, Pastor Ernest is going to come. We're going to pray. We're going to respond. I don't want you to leave here like just with like a huge weight on your shoulders of all of these things that you have to like do. I want you to remember. I want you to remember the good news of Jesus or maybe to hear them for the very first time. He came to set you free. Just like Jonathan in a more like epic and infinite way. Jesus actually takes off his kingly robe from heaven. And this is how much he loved us. He saw us in our loneliness. He saw you and your sin, the things that you've done that separate you from God. And he said, I'm going to do something about that. So I'm going to show the world what sacrifice and what love looks like on display on a cross. So he comes to put an end to the loneliness that you and I can experience. In Jesus' name, praise God. So I want to encourage you to take a step today, wherever you may be, in vulnerability, even in just a moment, to be vulnerable enough to actually like, ask God to give you the strength and the courage to take a step today because this is what he desires for you. He designed you to be a friend and to have friends. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the unconditional, unfailing, unfathomable love that you give us. I pray today that you would open up our hearts to receive it, Lord. God, help us to know that you have our best intentions in mind. I pray today, God, that you would heal hearts, heal wounds for all of us. Uh, if, if for people that have been here for the first time, leaders, God, people in ministry, God, who sometimes can talk about friendship but not experience it, wherever any of us may be today, Lord, I pray that you would do this great work and that you would help us take a step towards you and your design for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.